This is Every Lady Needs a Hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries podcast. I'm Genevieve Andrus. And I'm Mackenzie Clark. This is our hobby. Today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 3. The Green Mill Murder. So, what did you think of this episode? There were some things I really liked about this episode. Um, the jazz band I enjoyed as a trumpet player. I enjoyed that one of the main characters is a cornet player. So I, I liked that. Um... I did think there was a couple, like, competing plot lines that were a little... I don't know if they quite fit in the same episode together, but, like, the flying and the family with the sons versus the jazz band, it was it was two very divergent plot lines, but it all came together in the end, so I feel pretty good about this episode. Yeah, yeah I agree. I felt like it was a little bit, um... Yeah, there was, like, too many plots happening, and they were a little bit... You know, some of them made more sense than others. Definitely <laughs> um, true. But overall, overall, I do like it. There's really good music. In there was this some great episode, music. So, yes. not my favorite romantic interest episode, Ugh, but we no. can get more into that later. <laughs> yeah, we can and should. <laughs> okay, so I guess we can get into our recap. Yeah. Um, so the cold open of this episode is different because we're not actually seeing a murder occur in no, this one. No, the murder does not happen in the in the intro. No. So we actually see a man uh, who is, like, sort of stalking up and observing a, a scene. And that scene is another man um, convincing a flower seller to sleep with him. <laughs> oh, I just realized who the other guy in the shadows was. I did not realize that when I was watching the episode. Anyways. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that either. Well, I guess we'll see if we think it's the same person. Yes, we will. <laughs> we can get to that later, well, though. You'll f- yeah, listeners, you'll find out in 20 minutes. <laughs> Although you've already watched the episode, so presumably. I would um, recommend watching the episode before listening to this podcast, dear listener. Yeah. Um, so this part I have in my notes, hasn't he heard no means no? Um, because I hate it when... Uh, we see consent depicted this way, where the woman is like, no, and the guy's like, oh, come on, and she's like, oh, all right. Well, okay, but have you considered what he said to her was, come on, twinkle toes, which has a man ever said that to you? I feel like maybe if a man had said that to you, you would immediately jump into, like, the flower bin with him, like this woman does. Yeah, I actually feel weak in the knees just thinking about it. It's a very convincing line. I'm just saying. Male (laughs) listeners, take note. Yeah, all right. So then the creepy man watching in the shadows. A lot of consent issues here. Anyway, um, <laughs> he cocks his gun, but he doesn't really seem to do anything. So, But I think, given my theory of who this person is, he does do something later. Yes, that's true. Um, okay, so after the cold open, we get Miss Fisher walking through, like, a bad part of town that also appears to be very, like misty and steamy it always is Is, how is the bad part of town always so conveniently misty yeah filled with like a smoke machine some dry ice i don't know (laughs) um (laughs) so then she goes up to us like what is presumably a speakeasy the Um, door with a green windmill on it yeah okay yeah the green mill didn't notice that no that's (laughs) the name of the episode so but my question is like why did they need speakeasies if alcohol was legal well, in Australia? Because I think it was because of the jazz band that was playing, and the jazz band has a black singer. Oh, you think maybe that was yeah. illegal? Or okay. not, maybe not illegal. Well, more on this later because I did some research. Not illegal, but just not like 
it's a little bit frowned upon. Okay. Well, I did, I tried to Google it and I didn't, I mean, admittedly, I didn't try very hard, but I did find that the term speakeasy does originate from Australia. Oh, cool. And it referred to sly grog shops. Oh. So maybe they were like, an, um, they were like, they had no liquor license or something. I don't know. Bert and Seth do talk in another episode about getting some sly grog. So apparently that was a thing. I feel like on several occasions, Bert and Seth are getting grog on the sly. Because, of course, they are. Nothing like sly grog. <laughs> That's like when you go to the movies with your secret little mini box of wine. Yeah, I'm going to start calling sly that grog. sly grog. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, inside this forbidden club, uh, a jazz band is playing. People are dancing. And Miss Fisher is meeting a boy with a little baby face. He looks so young. I think he's got a very boyish yes, face. and some, a very boyish haircut. It's very, like... Floppy. Uh, yeah. And later in the episode, a very boyish outfit. Oh, yes. We can discuss that. <laughs> yeah. But at this point, he's trying to sell her an airplane because he really needs some money. Um, also, I remembered the murderer at one minute and 52 seconds in. So about right when she walks into the club. Wow. So far, you've stayed under two minutes. Yeah. I wonder if you can break one minute. We'll see. We'll see. Um, And he's trying to sell the plane because he was supposed to learn how to fly but it's from his brother, but his brother never came back from the war. And he needs cash fast. And what do you do when you need cash fast? Sell your airplane. That's what I do. Um, yeah. You know, I let one go for really far under what it was worth a few years back, and I'm still regretting it, but... Yeah, well, when you need money, you need money, so... The lady's gotta pay her debts. Um, I'll also note that he, when he's describing the plane, he says its top speed is 130, which is faster than Franny's car, so obviously she's interested in the sale. <laughs> well... Well, I don't know anything about airplanes. Um, so then he, like, sneaks off for some kind of shady conversation, and then in the interlude, the banjo player from the band makes some sexy eyes at Miss Fisher. I'm like, it's not an episode of Miss Fisher if there's not somebody making, like, sexy eyes at her. Like, within the first five minutes of the episode, someone is making eyes at her, so. Yeah, I'm making sexy eyes right now. The listeners can't see it, but. They're very sexy, (laughs) Mackenzie. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, using the self mysteries. Um, <laughs> so then Char- Charlie comes back from his shady convo and he admits that he's in a sordid situation. Which which Miss Fisher then says, "I specialize in those." <laughs> she does too. She doesn't even mean solving them. She's no, like just, about to get in one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately the banjo player comes over to dance in a sordid fashion with Miss Fisher. Oh, very very person. sultry, man. Very sultry. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been sorted in, like, the context of, like, a middle school dance, but I guess for 1928. Anyways, he also <laughs> refers to the to jazz as the devil's music, which I enjoyed. In his weird accent, which I guess we could talk about more later, but I don't, like, I googled this guy and I was like, he can't be Australian. Like, what is this accent? But he is. That is an Australian actor. Was he trying to pretend to be American? The accent is weird. a terrible job. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the accent is weird. I couldn't I couldn't place it. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, so anyways, they're dancing and then the murder occurs. There's a commotion, some glasses get dropped, and the man who to the careful observer, such as Genevieve or me watching the second time, you might <laughs> notice was the guy who was earlier threatening Charlie. Also um, the man, man boy. earlier who was in the alley saying, Come on, twinkle toes in a sketchy oh, consent yeah. scene. This is him, and now he is dead. Dead, dead, dead. I don't know, he probably deserved it. Given well, what yeah, we know about like him it. so far. 
And then Charlie seems to, like, run off. Like, he's like, oh, no, mom caught me with my hands in the cookie jar. And he just, like, scuttles away. (laughs) And then, of course, Inspector Robinson shows up and some banter ensues. Another murder. Let's not make a habit of it. I love the way the crowd parts and Miss Fisher is just sort of standing there like, oh, shucks, Mm -hmm. it's me again. Here I am at the scene of of another crime. I, I can't go out anywhere. <laughs> Without just, someone dying. People are dropping left and right. <laughs> uh, my husband's theory is that she actually is committing all the murders. And that's why they keep happening around her. Because she's killing them. And then she has very elaborate explanations for why it's someone else. Interesting theory. It's almost, it's almost more realistic that, to think that she's doing it than that, like... Than that this many murders she just, like, happens to be around. Like, I've never been around any murders. None. Zero murders have happened. Yeah, I mean, I have to think about it for a second, but, um, yeah, none. No murders. None. (laughs) I mean, maybe I've just, like, walked by, and because I'm not Miss Fisher, I didn't realize that, like, a murder was about to happen, or was... Well, anyway, so, Jack is also, he's also incredulous that she would be at another murder, and he's, like, annoyed that she interfered. And then I'm wondering, like, at this point, I was like, how many more episodes until he stops pretending to care? Like, because... After a while, he's just like, oh, hello, what have you found for me? But in the early ones, he's like, stop touching the crime scene. I think in this episode, he makes some developments in that area. When it comes to accept that, like, Miss Fisher has her uses, which started in the last episode. And Jack's not going to rush into things, but he's he's not stupid. And then he has Hugh search everyone, even the ladies. Shocker. Hugh is very, very upset about this. Um, yeah, it was a pathetic, pathetic searching that he did. I was like, is that all you're going to do? You're just going to like, kind of pat him down a little bit? Like, yeah, he really, even... Hugh did not step up in the searching business. Oh, also, so what Franny interfered with the scene, she found a wad of cash on the dead man that she produces to Jack. So that is a key piece of the murder investigation. Oh, yeah. she. Why did she go through his pockets? Well, obviously she was just investigating. Yeah, she was starting anyway. the investigation. She's a lady detective. Um, also, yeah. I liked where Jack, so before Jack tells Hugh to, like, search the ladies, or after he tells him to search the ladies, and then Hugh's like, I don't want to do that or something, even the women, and, um, he says, no, we have no lady constable, and Phryne's oh, face yeah. is like, oh, yeah, well. Well, and then she's like, well, can't you make me an honorary constable? Look how he's suffering. And it's, I was thinking like, well, Jack, you say no now, but in three short seasons, you're going to be making her an honorary constable. I know, it does happen, does happen. And then he says, I thought this was weird. Jack says Hugh could use the practice. And I'm like, searching someone, like, at the scene of a crime is very different than, like, getting with the ladies. It's yeah, just... is, is that what he means? Like, practice getting ladies? Or, I don't, like... I, it's a weird line, anyways. Um, so then, like, two other important things happen here, which is that the dead man's dance partner insists he was going to marry me, which, like, classic tale, ladies. And then the singer from the band just laughs derisively at that, um, and then also is pretty, like, provocative and teasing to Hugh while he tries to search her. Indicating um, that he perhaps yeah. may May not have been able to do a very thorough search. Yeah. Hmm. Suspicious. <laughs> also, um, the, to the careful observer, the dance partner of the dead man is the woman from the beginning. Oh, yes. To, yeah. Well, I didn't notice that the first time around. I didn't um, notice it either. I just figured it out later. So I, as a careful observer, I'm, 
I'm sort of posing as a careful observer. Um, so that, oh, I think also in this scene, we find out that Hugh is trying to ask Dot to the fireman and policeman's ball. And I think it's so, I think Jack just brings this up to Franny, which is cute. He's like, I know. well, I'm annoyed at you for secure, like for searching the man's pockets, but like, let's gossip about our maid and my constable. It's so cute. That I'm trying to set Dot and Hugh up in this episode. It just like warms my heart. Yeah. And also I'm like pretty curious. We don't get to see the fireman and policeman's ball, but I'm pretty curious, like what kind of event is this like is there punch is there like canapes like how close is the dancing i want i mean is there alcohol served like yeah i mean we just see them we see them going to the ball at the end but alas we do not get to see the ball yeah so then we cut to miss fisher interviewing the singer whose name is noreen she denies knowing the victim and we find out that she's married to the cornet player (laughs) And I thought, like, I have in my notes that it seems like the show was trying to take on the issue of interracial marriage as its, like, issue of the week. And they don't really go anywhere with it. It's, like, a little ham-handed, I thought. Like, okay, you didn't really, you didn't really do this. (laughs) Yeah, the singer says, oh, are you gonna be shocked? And Noreen says to Friday, you must be shocked. And she said, anyone should be able to marry whoever they choose. And it's it's a little bit, like, It's a little preachy. Although she then does say, personally, I'm not the marrying kind, which I liked. Yeah, yeah. And then the band leader, Mr. Stone, tells Jack that he was dancing with Miss Fisher when the murder occurred. And Jack looks a little, he's a little bit like, Ugh, of course. I know, I love his, um, love his look. <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> yeah, again with the face acting. And then we find out that Charlie, as we knew, has, like, fled the scene. Uh, oh, also I have in my notes, Miss Fisher has some kind of, like, rhinestone-tipped false eyelashes or something. <laughs> I did not some, notice some that. Some sort of absurd false eyelash <laughs> situation going on. Which, like, I mean, what, false eyelashes? That was even a thing in the 20s? I had no idea you could do that. Well, if anyone was... Blew them on with? <laughs> if anyone was doing it, it was Miss Fisher. Yeah, that's for sure. <clears throat> also during the scene, Noreen says about her husband when my baby's hopped up on jazz he don't remember nothing and i just i just am not sure that's gonna stand up in court i just just don't think it's gonna stand up in court when you were in marching band did you get like hopped up and you couldn't remember anything mostly i was terrified that i would forget the drill so i was very focused i don't know i guess if something then if something had been happening around me like a murder had been committed maybe a murder was committed while i was playing my trumpet and i just didn't know because i was so hopped up on music that would have been a good time to do it when the crowd was distracted you know i bet i like i mean how distracted were they by the marching band well i guess you were in a good one my band was that when my band came on that was when people went to go get like nachos and stuff so well at michigan state the band was very good but people still went to get nachos when we were playing which was Mm -hmm. frankly their loss so yeah anyways murders may have been committed I was distracted. Yeah. Um, oh, so then the next scene, we're back at Miss Fisher HQ, and we I think she's, like, waking up, and we find out that Charlie is wanted for murder, number one, and Dot's a little worried that he was waiting until the last minute to ask her to the dance, and Miss Fisher's like, well, you might have to ask him. Oh, it's so good, and she said, Dot says, that's just not how it's done, and Franny says, poppycock. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Dot's obviously never been to a Sadie Hawkins dance, because that is how it's done. Um, right, but I don't think the police and firemen's constable ball is a Sadie Hawkins dance. I'm just guessing. Yeah, there's probably just, like, a lot of raw, masculine energy at that dance, so. 
so they can't have women asking them. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say what I love about Hugh is that while he's, you know, competent and has his manly job, he isn't like super, he isn't like overly masculine, but he's definitely a man. I don't know. He's, he's He's a great character in that regard. Yeah, that's true. Okay, before we get done talking about this scene, Friday is wearing this, like, orange boa robe. It's just, like, an orange boa around the neck. And I just, I don't understand. Wow, I missed that. I didn't even notice. Yeah. While she's in the bed. Yeah, and I'm like, did she sleep in that? Did she get up, put it on, and then breakfast was brought to her? It's very, it's just, like, a lot of boa right around the neck. Well, you can't sleep in a boa collared robe. That would damage it. Yeah, she must have put it on after. She probably she probably sleeps in the nude. That seems like something she would do. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Anyway. Anyway, so then a Um, phone call. There's a phone call. Yes, and who could it be but Charles's mummy calling for help? Adele. She can't find Charles. So Miss Fisher goes to her house to talk to her about the fact that Charles is missing and he's wanted for murder. And also in this scene, you notice that there's, like, a family photo of these Mm -hmm. people, and Miss Fisher appears to, like, creepily stroke the photo of, presumably, Charlie's brother. And then there's a separate photo of, again, presumably Charlie's brother in a plane. Right, yes. So then Miss Freeman wants Miss Fisher's help to clear Charlie's name, and Miss Fisher is happy to do it because she used to be, quote, very close to his brother, which, like, can only mean one thing, but Mrs. Freeman is just like, oh, okay. Like, she doesn't even blink. Like, oh, all right. Well, probably because Friday Flappa said- has been having relations. <laughs> Friday said she would do it for free, so. Oh, yeah. So that was probably helpful. Um, and then Miss Freeman denies knowing the murder victim, and she says that Charlie has a bunch of frivolous friends, and um, tells Miss Fisher to look for a guy named Bobby Sullivan, and then Miss Fisher immediately goes back to her house and puts Bert and Sess on the job. Oh, I was going to say, the one thing that Mrs. Freeman knows about Bobby is that he plays competition darts. Which, like, how is that the one thing you know about someone? On Thursday, she knew when and where he played competition darts and then claims to know nothing else about him. Yeah, not, like, what part of town he lives in or, like, I mean, like, what are competition darts anyway? Is that real? Apparently. Yeah. I would Anyways, I was like, that's not, like, the one thing you know about someone. It's, like, maybe who his parents are, like, where he's from, but not that he plays competition darts on Thursdays in this part of town. Anyways. Well, as we find out later, she's not, she's not the most observant mother about her own children. She's been missing (sighs) some signs. Yeah. Some important signs. Yep. (laughs) So then, after that, she goes straight to the morgue. For the autopsy of the murder victim, where we learned two things. The angle of attack was horizontal, and ladies aren't welcome at the morgue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a, the, the, the coroner, I wrote down a lot of quotes from this episode, apparently, but when Friday, like, breezes into the morgue, the doctor, the mortician, is, like, mortified, and he says, I'm afraid this won't do, I've never seen a woman in this building. He's like, oh, just leave me alone with my corpses. Yeah. I, ladies! Oh. <laughs> And then Jack tells her that she can stay if she doesn't speak. And he does it in this, like, low, growly, like, unnecessarily sexy Jack voice. And I'm like, why are you breaking this out in the morgue? And then he gets, like, like face- again, like, three inches from her face. He sort of, like, leans in as he says it. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I'm, I will never complain about, a, like, a bit of, like, sexy Jack voice oh, and no. sexual tension. The timing but of this one. I'm not sure, 
Yeah, the, is it the time or the place? Like, there's literally a murdered body in front of you. It's, first of all, disrespectful to the dead. But, I mean, it won't be the first time. So, anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then there's some humorous pantomime where Miss Fisher's like, it was a hat pin that we was stabbed with. But she doesn't talk, yeah. to be to be clear. She, she follows Jack's instructions. She just produces the hat pin. Yeah. Is it? And she's wearing that that tasseled hat. I like that hat. I do like little, that hat with a tassel like down by the face. Tassel. Yeah. yeah. And then we, I think we're they're on their way out of the morgue, and we find out that innocent baby boy Charlie has a record for a fray for punching the murder victim <gasps> in a public bath. In a bath. <gasps> in a public bath. What? I don't understand public baths. Okay, moving on. We don't have don't to discuss know. that. It seems, I mean, that's like I wouldn't want to get a fight in a, a public bath. Like I bet it would be slippery. You don't want to run by the pool. You can't be punching people by the pool. Or, I mean, I assume a public bath is just a pool. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, we saw one in the first episode. Maybe it was Madame Breda's. She, maybe she reopened her Turkish bathhouse. Maybe it was. Also, I googled a fray. It is an instance of fighting in a public place that disturbs the peace. A fray. Like, not, I thought, I was thinking a fray. Like, they got into a fray. But it's one word. Like, a fray. A fray. Yes, starts with an hmm. A. A-F-F-R-A-Y. Oh. Huh. Yes. So then after that, we go back to Miss Fisher's house and Sess and Bert have won a chicken at the darts competition. The confusion about competitive darts grows. Chickens yeah. are the prizes. And then Miss Fisher's like, should we eat it? Which is like, obviously that's a hen and you should keep it for its eggs. Like, come on. That's not an efficient way to use the chicken, Miss Fisher. I don't know if Miss Fisher is into, like, having animals as pets or... Well, she has a yard, I mean. <laughs> also, she has, like, servants who would take care of it for her, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's true. But they also found Bobby Sullivan. Who? And he's in the parlor. And then we see him, and does he look like someone that you think would be into playing competitive darts? Yeah, that's what I have in my notes. He doesn't look like the partying type. He seems more like a member of Future Accountants of America. Or, sorry, Australia. Yeah, he's, he's a total nerd. Yeah! And, like, he's wearing a turtleneck with a blazer and it's all just beige. I'm like, this man is not throwing competitive darts. Like, no. And his his glasses and his little haircut. No. Yeah, I just don't see him on the dart floor. The dart board. Or, like... Someone who would could be described as, like, liking to party. No. Or, yeah. Okay. Well, that's Bobby Sullivan, competitive dart player and friend of Charlie's. And he claims not to know the murder victim, but not very convincingly. And then he, like, is like, I must go. I have to leave. No. <laughs> and then Sess and, and Bert are playing darts. I guess the darts, there's a reason competitive darts is in this. And it's a little, the more I think about it, the more hackneyed it is as a plot device. But it's okay. I'll forgive it. Yeah. In my notes, I have foreshadowing. Because <laughs> Miss Fisher's almost hit with a dart. Mm -hmm. But anyway, then the three of them all run off to follow Bobby, who we next spot climbing up a drain pipe, which I gotta admit, that's not very feature accounts of America. It's, it's you know, it's bold, climbing the drain. All right, all right, we'll give it to Bobby. Got some guts. Yep. In addition to and dart, then Jack and dart skills. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then Jack and Hugh roll up just in time to see Miss Fisher climbing in the window after Bobby. <laughs> Once again in heels. <laughs> and she, she climbs the window and then, like, does a roll into the building and her hat stays on her head. Yeah. These are all... I wore a little visor when I was out running the other day and it almost immediately blew off in the wind. It wasn't even that windy. So, 
Yeah. I guess we need maids <laughs> to, I don't know, attach things. Yes. Uh, Moral um, of the story. So then when Bobby is confronted first by Miss Fisher and then by this trio of investigators, Jack and Hugh and Miss Fisher, he looks like he's about to like crap his pants. He's like shaking and terrified. And then Jack snatches a folder away from Bobby and we see from Hugh's reaction that it contains something terribly <gasps> embarrassing. Hugh says, oh dear God. <laughs> oh dear God. Yeah. What could it be? And then Jack presumably arrests Miss Fisher for breaking and entering because in the next- Wait, wait, do we say what the photos were? It's of Charles and Bobby in bed together. Very compromising. Very compromising photos. Um, Miss Fisher also just somewhat randomly in the scene plucks an invitation out of a dustbin. Oh, yeah. The clues are always just right there. Just right there. Anyways, more on that later. Go on. If that would have been me, I would have plucked, like, a receipt from Trader Joe's out of a dustbin. It would have been like, oh, the deceased also enjoys the truffle and prosciutto pizza. That could be a clue. All right, if if our podcast really takes off, we need to get an actual detective to come on and, like, analyze this show. And we need Trader Joe's to sponsor us. Also that, yeah. Um, <laughs> once, when the office got broken into when I was office manager, I did meet a police detective. He was wearing a striped suit. He was... <laughs> he was friendly enough. I might still have his card. I'll see what I can do. You still have his card. Um, when he I hope I do. You, did it help... How far away was his face from yours? Well, I was behind the front desk, so it was at least five feet. Oh, okay. Maybe Um, a little closer. I think I also showed him around, so probably a little closer. But there was, like, zero. There was, like, negative sexual tension. Oh, okay. Well, so at least, though, like, when he was walking around investigating, did he, like, immediately find clues? Did he, like, pick up a hair and be like, this is from a North African squirrel, indicating the killer is a zookeeper did it, did that happen no although he did solve the crime um but the point is that the detective talked to me and maybe i can get him to come on the show yeah well stay tuned listeners <laughs> we might need you to start a letter writing campaign to get this guy yeah <laughs> All right. All right, moving right along so anyway miss fisher is now at the police station and she is refusing to stand still for her mug shot and we get a very memorable like eyebrow raise and smile from Jack who sees her posing. <laughs> so good. And then Dot shows up with a basket of refreshments and uh, it appears that Jack and Miss Fisher are conspiring to leave Dot and Hugh alone uh, so that he could ask her to the dance. Which, spoiler, he doesn't. <laughs> well, he sees her cross necklace and he realizes that she's, drumroll, Catholic! What is he going to do? <gasps> God forbid. Yeah, and the music strikes this discordant note, like, and then I love this scene where he goes to answer the phone, and he just drops it, and, like, really is struggling, and this is why I just relate to Hugh so much, because, like, literally right before we recorded this, I dropped a cocktail all over my living room, and I felt a little (laughs) bit like Hugh Collins. Oh, yeah, that actor's physical comedy is brilliant. He's, like, constantly tripping over shit, and it's great. Anyways. So then while those two are bumbling around, the flirtation in Jack's office seems to be going a lot more smoothly. Ratchet's um, up to like 200% from what we've seen before. Oh yeah. Miss Fisher is sitting on his desk and she is feeding him food and he literally eats it right off the fork. <laughs> He's, she's like, here comes the sexy airplane. And he's like, I want to ride that airplane. And he just like bites it right off the fork. 
in which one of my favorite lines from the show takes place where Jax tells Miss Fisher that she needs to take this more seriously, that she has been arrested for breaking and entering. And she says, I haven't taken anything seriously since 1918. That love. is a great line. I just love and it. And I, I had to look it up. I was like, what does that mean? But 1918 was the end of the First World mm-hmm. War. So presumably before that, she took many things seriously, such as war. Right, the war seems serious, and since the war, she has just been, you know, going to jazz clubs and making eyes at, at all sorts of men. Although, we find out later, yeah. she was doing that during the war, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so then Miss Fisher's like, what will become of them? Cause, so first, she bribes him by feeding him to see what's in the folder. She sees the photos, and Jack's like, well, I'm gonna have to charge them with sodomy. I'm just, I'm just doing my job. I mean, I can't help it. And she's like, okay, well, feeding time is over. And she kind of, like, goes out in a huff. (laughs) Well, he says, I'm a servant of the law. And she says, well, in this instance, the law is an ass. Yeah. Strong words. Gratin, Gratin, time is over. Goodbye. She also, so when Jack tells her what the photos are, she's, like, not surprised at all. And she says, I do enjoy having some effect on a man. And my charm was clearly wasted on Charles. (laughs) It's like, that's how she knew, because obviously any man would be, like, attracted to her, but he was not. Yeah. So then she goes to speak to Bobby, who's been arrested, and she finds out that the murder victim was blackmailing Bobby and Charles uh, about the pictures, and he just went to the to his apartment to get the photos away from the police, which obviously he failed at. Poor um, Bobby. Yeah, and then we find out that Mrs. Freeman was also making payments to the victim, mm-hmm. so that's suspicious. Wait, uh, how do we find that out? All, Does Jack... Jack, I think, has a hold of the victim's, like, ledger book, and he's like, oh, look at these yeah. regular payments yeah. from Mrs. Freeman. It says in the notes, like, don't tell anyone my son's gay. No, just kidding. It doesn't say that. <laughs> also, that was not... Turned, uh, yeah, anyway, not why she was paying yeah, the, re- the real reason was much dumber. <laughs> <laughs> And then Miss or then Miss Fisher leaves the picnic basket behind as she leaves, and she tells Jack that he has that lean, hungry look, which also garners another terrific bout of face acting from Nathan Page. <laughs> oh, Nathan Page! Do you follow him on Instagram? Because I would highly recommend it if you don't. I don't, but I will oh, now. Yeah, you Thanks should. For the tip. Yeah. Um, also, Jack um, then... tells Friday that. Uh, He's like, well, Charlie must have been desperate for money. He was trying to sell you a plane you don't want. And Friday says, who says I don't want it? And is very, like, huffy about it, which I love. <laughs> of course I want um, the plane. Also, I, I think that the comment about the lean, hungry look might be, like, foreshadowing or, like, a clue to the fact that his wife has left him and there's yes. no one to pack him his little policeman lunches anymore. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, and then Q is like, no, I didn't ask her. She's Catholic. Oh, no. Um, and Jack says, good leaves. God, man. It's just a dance. <laughs> good God, man. Which is, I mean, that's pretty rich coming from Jack, who, like, I mean, takes, he takes his sweet fucking <sighs> time here, but whatever. Um, and then Miss Fisher immediately sends Dot off to church to find out if the victim was getting married because she's plucked this. She can, the, waste yeah, the wastebasket invitation. invitation conveniently happens to be an invitation for the dead man's wedding. Yeah, like, I don't remember throwing away any invitations to my wedding. I think they're still in a box, but anyway. Yeah, but if someone came to your house and found the box, it would be a clue. Yeah. I also don't think it would be a clue because you actually did get married. 
So then Miss Fisher confronts Mrs. Freeman, who says, okay, I did know him, and I used to employ him, and that's why I was paying him, and... Used to be her um, accountant, when she seems like a really dodgy person to hire your accountant. I would have hired Bobby Sullivan. Oh, yeah, he clearly... As my I mean, just on looks alone, he looks like an accountant. The glasses, yeah. And she had no idea that Charlie was being blackmailed, or why, so great parenting. Also then, like, Friday sort of outs Charlie to Mrs. Friedman, which made me a little uncomfortable, but... Yeah, I was like, why you gotta tell his mom? Come on. Like, he should tell his mom. Yeah. What? Well, anyway. She was trying to, like, lead a witness. Like, I get that it was part of the investigation, but just, it made me a little uncomfortable. I was like, eh, I don't know if this is how Charlie would have wanted his mom to find out. Probably didn't want his mom to find out at all, because it was 1928, but. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, we find out that the wedding was canceled, and the wedding was to this flower girl from the the opening. Who was named Pansy. Pansy. Really. Pansy. So Pansy is totally unimpressed with Miss Fisher. And then she also is like, you could have any man with your good looks, which I think was stupid because the actress is like really pretty. I know, I thought that too. I was like, you're also good looking. Like, this is not like arguably as, I don't know, as good looking as Miss Fisher, just like without fancy clothes. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then we find out that he was probably sleeping around and probably with someone who wears a rose perfume, a dead rose perfume. Which? The jazz singer. Which would you, I don't know, if, like, Rob came and smelled like perfume, I don't know that it would be, like, oh, it smells like this. I I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, what have you been eating? Is that cupcakes I smell? Hmm. <laughs> Did you bring me one? Yeah. No. <laughs> Anyways, it seems very so convenient that she was able to, like, recognize the perfume. Anyways. Yeah. Well, it's, the whole thing seems pretty convenient. But anyway... <laughs> Miss Fisher goes to investigate this perfume situation, um, and Noreen, the singer, the one with the perfume, tells Miss Fisher that there was yet another man threatening our murder victim, and this is the point where I was like, too many suspects. <laughs> I think there's too many. <laughs> also, I definitely thought when Noreen tells Friday this that she's just making it up, but then it turns out later that it was true. Like, I thought she was just being like... Oh, no, I saw someone with, like, a hat and a scarf threatening him with a gun. And I was like, all right, all right. Like, lay off it. But it actually was true. Oh, yeah, like, that was just some bad misdirection. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, but. Yeah. So then in our next scene, we've got Miss Fisher, like, on a date with Mr. Stone, the band leader. So once again, she's pulling one of her best tricks, letting a hapless witness think she's on a date with them, when she's actually just pumping them for information. And she tries to put the moves on him, or he tries to put the moves on her, and she just, like, puts him off in a fantastic manner. But, okay, so here's my- can we take a moment to discuss Mr. Stone, the band leader? Excuse me, Tintagel Stone? Are you are you referring to Tintagel That's Stone? That's actually his leader? name? I did not pick that. It's- it's Tintagel. Yeah, it's only because I IMDb'd him to see, like, what his fucking accent was. Tintagel. Thank goodness they Tintagel. call him yeah. Mr. Stone most of the episode. Anyways, <laughs> his jacket is too large. It's just, like, too big for him, and it seems to be, like, swallowing his head. Especially when yeah, he's, like, really like, when he's dancing or when they're, like, on the couch, sort of, like, he's moving in, and just, like, sort of engulfs his neck. And I'm like, this jacket <laughs> is too large for this man. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> You're right, it was too large. 
Um, oh. And then I also have in my notes that, like, there's a double standard here. Where, well, it's not a double standard, but it's a contrast to the cold open where, like, no always means no with Miss Fisher. Like, if she's like, no, not this time, the guy's always like, okay, fine. There's no, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Um, Anyways. Anyway. Um, so we also find out from Mr. Stone that Noreen and Ben, the cornet player, were married in Australia because there's no interracial marriage in America. So she's American. I think they're both American, but they got married in Australia. And that Mr. Stone performed the wedding. Hmm. Also, I became convinced in this scene that the cornet player is not actually playing the cornet. He is this is my expert. You think opinion. he's pretending? Yeah. <laughs> I did not look closely. His his embouchure is is not good, and he's sort of, like, puffing his cheeks out, like, which you might do sometimes if you were playing jazz, but I don't think you would do all the time, which he kind of does. Anyways, I could yeah, be wrong, like but I my guess would be he is not actually playing the cornet. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got an expert over here. <laughs> well, by contrast, I believe Noreen, the singer, is in fact singing, mm-hmm. because I looked her up as well, and that actress is a real Australian singer. Oh, cool. Yeah, you could listen to her music on Spotify, which I was gonna do, and then I didn't, but... Cool story, Mackenzie. Yeah. She's a good singer, though. So, wait, okay, so they're at the club, and then they go to Mr. Stone's house, which is where... Oh, was that his house? Yeah. Friday really gets into the rebuffing mode and is trying to get evidence. And she she says, you have me thoroughly syncopated. If I said that to a man, he would laugh at me and be like, what the fuck are you talking but about? But if that man was a jazz musician, he might think it was very sexy that you said yeah, think of it in musical yeah. terms. <laughs> and then, yeah, I love Could how Miss Fisher in this scene is like, just, she gets him like so close to kissing her. And then she said, but what did Mr. Stevens have on Noreen Robert- Rogers? <laughs> I'm like, no, Um, no, you wouldn't actually do that, but Miss Fisher does. uh, On the topic of strange names, her name is actually Noreen, like N-E-R. No, it's not Noreen, it's Noreen. Yeah, according to IMDb. I thought it was Noreen, Noreen too, but it's not. Noreen. Okay, all right, well, I've been saying that wrong this whole time. Noreen. Yeah. Anyway, so the little historical research that I did for this episode is that I looked up Sonny Clay's Plantation Orchestra, which Mr. Stone puts on on his record player to to begin his seduction of Miss Fisher at his home. Classic. Um, so it was Sonny Clay was a musician, and he and his Plantation Orchestra, which on Wikipedia it says that when he, they were touring Australia, they were going by um, Sonny Clay's Colored Idea. But maybe that just didn't quite work in the show. So they they were touring, and then they ran into some race-related troubles due to unions and venue issues. And it resulted in a police raid, um, and they got deported. And there was, so there was some troubles with the unions, and then also the, the black band members were, like, fraternizing with white women, which also was, like, a big scandal. And so they got deported, and Australia banned black musicians from touring until 1954. So for, like... What? Yeah, so they banned black musicians because of Sonny Clay's colored idea until 1954. So, like, Louis Armstrong wanted to tour there and couldn't because there was a ban on black musicians touring. Wow. So there's all this that could have been covered in this episode about, like, race relations, mm-hmm. and they decided to just sum it up with, like, well, I think anybody should be able to marry anybody, and that's it. Although, that's so, all I do. So they do allude to it, because 
Miss um, Fisher says, or no, Mr. Stone says, they're probably a big hit with the ladies. And Miss Fisher says, not so popular with the authorities, probably. Um, so they do allude yeah. to the, all of this happening. Well, sort of foreshadow, because I don't think it happened yet when this was taking place. But anyways, they don't really get into it. So Yeah. Okay, so then after Mr. Stone leaves, presumably with a lot of uh, unresolved sexual frustration... Well, no, they're at Mr. Stone's house, so Friday leaves and goes home. Okay. Uh, Miss Fisher's back at her house, and she takes a look at a photo, and she magically recognizes a blurry figure (laughs) in the background of this black and white photo, and I'm like, that's just bullshit. There's no way. Um, And this, I really think, is where the episode takes a turn for the just totally zany. I'm like, what? What is happening? She's, she's an aviator who's supposed to be dead. Do you think, do you think at this point she's already suspicious? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, okay. I don't so think consider. so. consider. She has already confronted Mrs. Freeman about the blackmail and has established that it is not because Mrs. Freeman knows that Charlie is gay. So she's already thinking, like, maybe it's something else. And then she sees the photo and there's like, no, nope, it's a stretch. It's a real stretch. Well, yeah, because, like, why would she ever think that the blackmail was for that reason? Because it's such a stupid fucking reason that no one would ever use that for blackmail, so. (laughs) I think you're just not thinking entrepreneurial enough about blackmail opportunities, Mackenzie. Yeah, I guess not. It's probably for the best, because Leonard Stevens was very entrepreneurial about blackmailing, and he ends up dead, so. Well, all the blackmailing I've ever done has been with, like, nude photos or, like, proof of a crime being committed. Not, like, you know, long-lost siblings. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, Friday does some very astute photo sleuthing. Yeah. Um, and then I also have in my notes that in this scene where Hugh stops by and Dot has to speak to him. She's wearing a very cute lacy blouse. I really like this blouse. It is very cute. She, she like, so Miss Fisher gives her the photograph back and says, Constable Collins will come to pick it up. And then also, key to the mystery, ask for the repatriation phone number for the repatriation office. Anyways, but Dot looks in the mirror when she hears that Collins is coming, and she's wearing, over the cute lacy blouse, a horrid, horrid, like, beige cardigan. And it's oh, just, yeah, but she takes it she, off. She takes it off because she looks in the mirror up. and realizes it is horrible. It looks like, like a scrub uniform with, like, huge pockets. It's, like, very, it's just like a bag. Classic Dot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then when Hugh comes, they have, like, a middle school level flirtation. And then she does ask him to the dance because he just can't, he can't spit it out. Yeah. But then, like, he brings up the P word, Protestant. And I have in my notes, a kiss is stolen. Yes, he does. Which I thought, I don't know, props to Hugh. He couldn't work up the courage to ask her to the dance. But once they were established that they were going together, he kissed her on the cheek. It was cute. It was a bold move. It was, it was a bold move. Also, I like uh, that so then- uh, Dot says... Uh, when you she asks him, and then Hugh says, "I'm supposed to ask you," and she says, "We could all die waiting for that to happen." <laughs> it's so good. we could all die. Yeah, it's so good. And then the, I think this is mirrored by a like maybe it's season three where Miss Fisher says something similar to Jack, where she's like, "Well, I could be waiting all day oh, yeah. for your invitation." So 
The next scene, Miss Fisher races off to the Freemans, where there's just a lot of drama going so, on. Charlie has reappeared. This is where the drama really um, starts. <laughs> yeah, the ridiculous drama. And um, so Charlie's trying to, like, make a getaway, and he's rifling through some cabinet, presumably for cash and a gun. And Miss Fisher shows up. She drops the bomb that his brother has been alive all along, but in hiding. And, like... Why on earth does the mother want to hide this? I don't understand it, but whatever. She does, and that's why she's been blackmailed by Leonard Freeman, the murder well, victim. Well, I think she wants to hide it because the Vic doesn't want to be found. So, like, she's protecting her son. Yeah, but, like, when it comes to blackmail, don't you think you'd be like, listen, bro, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, this charade, the gig is up, you know? But whatever, that's just me. Um, And then Charlie pulls a gun on his mother like why would he do this it's like well i mean i guess he's like a little baby having a little hissy fit so oh, there's okay that, that's but. not fair he's he's on the run from the law for a law against sodomy which is like probably it's just like his life is unraveling before his eyes and he's on like he's on the run from a crime that like the crime of loving someone Mackenzie. so yeah but his mother's not to blame for that why would he pull a gun on her he's in an agitated emotional state due to the, the facts of his life right now i guess so but it's like he's saying like i could kill you i might kill you with this gun you know that's pretty serious that's your mom yeah no it's, it's definitely extreme i'm just saying just take into consideration what's going on in his life yeah i guess so um, so then Charlie and Miss Fisher rush off in the plane. Like, absurd Miss Fisher skill alert. <laughs> she flies planes. Uh, I um, do love Friday's boots in the scene when she's flying. Like, her flying boots are fantastic. Oh, I didn't even notice. Oh. I'll have to go back and check. Yeah, you do. They're excellent boots. So then before we get any footage of them flying, we cut back to the police station. Jack and Hugh have found out that Noreen is lying about her first husband being dead and is committing bigamy by marrying the, the cornet player. This is this is the second instance in this episode where someone who's supposed to be dead isn't dead. And just, it's a little, a lot of dead people that aren't dead. That's fine. What was the first one? Oh, the Vic. brother. Yeah. Yeah. The supposed to be dead, not dead trope is certainly overused in this genre of television. So then Miss Fisher and Charlie fly this plane and it's like, I think they like really flew a plane for, to shoot this scene because I was like, why else are they showing all this wobbly footage unless they actually got up there? Oh yeah, I definitely think, plane, you know? I think they must have flown a plane for this. Yeah. If it were me, I would have spent that money on hats, but whatever. Not in charge. <laughs> they did also <laughs> have excellent hats in this in this episode, so I think the budget was wisely spent. Yeah. So then they land and again Charlie like pulls a gun on his brother. Come on, man. Put the gun down. But he's wearing these like ridiculous short pants. They're like capri. Oh pants yeah, they're like stockings. Oh, it's so bad. It's like knickers. And I'm like, dude, like, you're running from he the- He looks like a little- Yeah, you're running from the law. You might want to wear some- He looks like a little boy. Regular pants. Yeah, put on your big boy pants now. Anyway, so Miss Fisher, like, quickly gives Vic, the brother, the lowdown. He's like, Charlie's wanted for murder. And he's been blackmailed. Blah, blah, blah. And then after this confrontation, there's, like, some steamy Vic, Miss Fisher, like- Well, no, first, so then Charlie tells Vic that he- him and Bobby had a thing going on, which Vic takes very much in stride, which I appreciated. Yeah, he doesn't even seem to care, which, I mean, realistically, in 1928, I think 
even the most liberal-minded man, to borrow a line from Michaud, would have been a little bit shocked by this revelation. I also, so this is a bit of a tangent, but what are the chances that, like, Friday and Jack just seem, like, so liberal? I'm like, really? This is 1928. Like, yeah, they're cool, like, good people, but would they have really been this liberal-minded? I don't know. Well, you know, that's one of the things, like, I, I really like it in a TV show. Like, I mean, obviously I love this one because it's, like, campy and ridiculous. But, like, for a more realistic TV show, I like it when the characters are really realistic. Like, if you ever watch Mad Men, like, all those characters kind of suck. Like, right. You know, I, there's, like, a scene where, like, Peggy is totally racist. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, she probably would have been. Yeah, it's, the 50s. it's more realistic. Like, that, like let's, let's not sugarcoat it. That's how it would have been. Yeah. So, I don't know. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, so then after that little showdown, there's some steamy Miss Fisher and Vic time where he's like sort of looming over her and they're, I don't know, reuniting, reminiscing about old times. So then in in the next scene, we go back to the police station where they've hauled Noreen in um, and then her bigamy is revealed in front of her husband, much to his dismay. And then she confesses to the murder, but she gets the details all wrong. So Jack is not fooled. He's like, she didn't do it. Whatever. Also, I love, so Mr. Stone is in the, at the police station in the scene. And Jack, like, makes this, this kind of snide remark to him where he says, why don't you leave the law to me? And it's the second episode in the row where Jack has kind of figured out who Miss Fisher is, like, flirting with and just, like, puts them in their place. Just, like, shoots them down. <laughs> He's a very jealous man. He is. I think. Even it's subconscious. He doesn't even realize it yet. Yeah. 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 So then um, we cut back to the missing brother's rural hideaway, his retreat from life, and uh, like Charlie seems to be tucked up in his bed, which is weird because in this scene, Miss Fisher is wearing nothing but this oversized cardigan that presumably belongs to the brother. Which like which it's I, very large for him. Like she's a tall woman. And the cardigan? Yeah, and, like, allegedly he's been, like, a sh- he's been herding sheep this whole time, so it's probably, like, a scratchy wool sweater, and she's just naked underneath. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. She's just not thinking about sensitive skin areas. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, she might be wearing underwear. Also, like, like, she's definitely not wearing a bra, because she kind of has it, like, draped over one shoulder, and it's bare. But she might be wearing underwear. Yeah. Still, but like the, the wolf. Charlie seems not at all bothered by the fact that she's just like lounging around in this cardigan, and also is like sleeping in the bed where they obviously just had like nasty sex. Gross. <laughs> no, I think Charlie's sleeping on the couch. I don't know. Maybe it looked like the bed to me, but who knows? Yeah. Also, you think you think uh, Vic and Friday hook up in this scene, or is there just a lot of sexual def- tension? Well, definitely, because why else would she be wearing, like, nothing but his sweater? Yeah, that's true. She could have just left her clothes on until bed, like, she got into bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Anyway. So then Miss Fisher has a log-inspired revelation about the murder, where she connects this log with some axe marks in it to a dart being thrown at her head. Yeah, it's a stretch. It's a stretch, but yeah. Yeah. And she also and see- Charlie. sees that there are dart holes. She has a flashback to the dart holes on a, like, sign in Noreen's dressing room. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Charlie resolves that to go back and face the music, a.k.a. his sodomy charges. Um, for Bobby's sake. 
It really is. We, we're, we've been making fun of them, but it is, you know, I admire their love in the face of, you know, shitty laws. Yes, it's very sweet. So then back at the house, Tot <laughs> is praying for God, for to, for him to do various things, but to look after the zebra at the zoo with the gammy leg. Which is just, it warms my heart. <laughs> um, And also to tell Hugh that he's Catholic, that, I mean, that God is Catholic. So it's a little weird. But Which is weird, it's cute, I guess. <laughs> but I think it's it's meant to highlight that that's kind of a silly thing to say that like God would be Catholic. Yeah, but I mean, like coming after the like look after the zebra with the gammy leg. It's yeah. <laughs> <sighs> ah, to be young and feel love's keen sting, as Albus Dumbledore would wow. say. Wow, wow, Mackenzie. <laughs> Anyway, um, so then after that, Miss Fisher's back at the police station with Jack, and she's demonstrating how the cornet player blew a dart out through his cornet. Through the mute, uh, which I was thinking, so I was thinking about this. I didn't do a test because I didn't, I don't think I have a mute anymore. I do my trumpet here. It was kind of late at night and I didn't uh, want to like. For the, for the non-marching band listeners out there, the mute is the thing that like goes into the instrument to make it a little quieter. <laughs> anyways anyway so i was trying to think if this if this murder method actually would have worked i think it might have i don't know about the range that that they're proposing in the scene like the range to like blow a dart across the room kill someone yeah i'm like to puncture like multiple layers of clothing because you know the dude was for sure wearing a three-piece suit first of all and then like to to go, like, straight to the heart? Like, what if he'd missed and hit a rib, you know? Yeah, it seems... Would never have worked. Unlike, like, I think maybe the pressure of, like, blowing into the cornet and having, like, a dart, like, you know, queued up in the mute. It might have worked, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a stretch, for sure. Anyways. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a hell of a stretch. <laughs> so then, anyway, Jack's, like... I don't know how the fuck you figure that out, but it's also ridiculous, so that's weird, too. And then they haul in the cornet player, and he admits to all of it as soon as he finds out that his wife was trying to protect him by confessing to the crime. All right, here's my- I've watched a lot of murder mystery shows, and here's my problem with these shows. The murderer just always confess- when faced with the evidence, they just confess on the spot. He didn't ask for his lawyer- he just confesses. And they always do in these shows. They just always do it. I, that is not how it happens in real life. Like, if someone has committed a murder, yeah. even if they plead guilty, they probably don't do a full confession like they do in these shows. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But that would be a worse show if they had to do, like, a whole trial. <sighs> Yeah, no, that's true. I wouldn't watch that. Oh, and then I, yeah, I have, like, similar notes here about how over the top this was. And also, like, if his aim was off, he could have hit somebody else. And how could he have presumed to hit someone who was dancing? Like, this guy was moving around dancing. And then finally, how could Noreen have looked over and possibly realized what he was about to do? Which she does. She, like, looks at him and she's like, oh, fuck, he's got a dart in there and he's gonna (laughs) kill the guy. Like, there's no way. There's no way. Look, look, they loved each other a lot. She looked and she saw in his eyes and she saw into his soul, Mackenzie. She saw murder in his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love the next part where Noreen sings to him outside his cell. He's in his cell and she's outside singing to him, serenading him. Yeah. Because she's sad. Also, okay, so so murder method aside, in his confession, Ben says that he saw Noreen and Leonard together, like, doing, getting getting down dirty, and that's why he killed him. Yeah, yeah. and But, you know, of course, she was just performing sexual favors in because she was being Black-mailed. blackmailed. Yeah. So, 
the murder has been solved. It's all wrapped up neatly. And in the next scene, we see Miss Fisher putting lipstick on Dot before she heads off to the ball. Um, and she, Dot's like, no, I have to take it off. But then Dot, it's like, then Hugh walks in and it's too late. And he sees her with the lipstick on and he does one of these like old time swoony looks that I have never seen on a real man. But maybe I'm just wearing the wrong color lipstick. Yeah, well, think about that. Yeah. And then and then Friday says, not bad for a Catholic, eh, Hugh? Or something like that. It's like... <laughs> Um, and then finally, Miss Fisher goes down to the police station at the request of Jack, where he demonstrates that he's a good guy who's willing to bend the rules a little bit, and he gives her the incriminating photographs to destroy, or whatever, there's some kind of old-timey equivalent of a negative. Photo Um, plate. Yeah. Um, and then we finish with him laughing over a stack of photos of Miss Fisher posing for her mugshot. Which is so adorable. Yeah, and sort of smiling as he looks after her as she stalks off and maybe he might just be smiling because she's wearing that weird <laughs> she's wearing scene. like a gold like headdress i don't i don't know this is a this is a whole ensemble i thought she was like <laughs> going to a costume party but then she just goes to the police station i was like no <sighs> yeah anyways so yeah I, I mean i liked this episode i thought the whole missing brother storyline was basically completely unnecessary they could have done the whole episode without yep. it um and then, yeah, I liked that there was, like, a jazz club and dancing. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I'll note, so earlier we said that the sort of, like, social issue they were tackling in this was interracial marriage, but they also tackled, like, homosexuality in 1920s Australia. Oh, that's true. You're yeah. right. They did. They did props to them for mm-hmm. that. Um. All right. So this, we kind of already did this, but I'll just do my murder rundown segment now. So... Leonard, the the dead man, was blackmailing Noreen over the bigamy charges because she was married in America to someone who sounded like an asshole and then married Ben, the cornet player. And Leonard was blackmailing over this. And he was also asking for sexual favors. So Ben catches them together, engaging in these sexual favors and blackmail and decides to kill him. So he modifies his mute to be a blow dart to avoid suspicion, presumably, because who except Miss Fisher would think that that was a murder murder method. Um, the red herring is the Freeman family drama, missing brother, gay brother saga. And then Friday figures it out from a series of rather convoluted clues that we've already discussed, so I won't run over again. Anyways, that was the murder. All right, excellent recap. I think the you, the motive is, is very thin. And frankly, I don't know that Ben was justified in killing Leonard with a blow dart from a trumpet mute. But that's me. Yeah, also, I'm already sick of having to, like, accept that these, these people who committed the murder are not bad people and you don't want them to suffer, but you know that they're going to hang, so. Well, th- I- that's what I'm saying. In this one, I just feel like there was so many things he could have done about the situation, like actually talk to his wife about it, that would have prevented him from committing murder. He just didn't have to commit the murder. <laughs> I don't feel bad yeah. for him. That's all I'm and saying. Like, if your wife's cheating on you, like, is it more the fault of your wife than the guy that she's cheating with? I mean... Again, it seems like what needed to happen was a conversation between the husband and the wife, and maybe he could have helped her get out of this horrible situation she was in where she was being blackmailed for sexual favor. Yeah, well, that's TV, I guess. Anyways. Anyway, so, best outfit of the week. I had the hat with the little tassel. (laughs) 
I loved that. I had her flying boots, which apparently you didn't even notice. You'll have to go back and see them. Oops. They're like knee high and they have all these laces on them. Oh, those? Yeah, 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 Okay, yeah. I do remember. I do remember. I had a pair of boots like that in high school, but I was too afraid to wear them to school. They were too racy. You should have worn them anyway. to fly a plane. <laughs> yeah, next time. <laughs> Um, and then for worst outfit, I have Charlie's little short pants, obviously. <laughs> I had Dot's cardigan that she has on over the lacy blouse when, when Hugh comes. Oh, yeah. Well, at least she it's... has a good sense to take it off. Exactly. Um, so who did you have for best week? I had Hugh for the best week because despite Aww. his, like, hesitancy, Dot stepped up, asked him to the ball, and he, you know, it was a good week for Hugh. He also, Jack gives yeah. him a, like, attaboy and says, like, good work on tracking down, um... The details of Noreen's marriage. So he, like, got some props at work. He gets a date to the ball, even though he's nervous. And he, he steals a little kiss on the cheek. Good week for Hugh. That's true. Yeah. I had Hugh as well. <laughs> Bumbles around, still gets the girl. Uh, and then I have in my notes for some reason, Sess does not bumble around, but all he gets is a chicken. <laughs> why, why do you have that in your notes? <laughs> I don't know. Because presumably Sess is still dating Alice from the first episode. Yeah. But, you know. We don't see much of her. We, she does come back. Um, who'd you have for, yeah, for like one episode? <laughs> um, who did you have for worst week? Obviously Noreen. Um, her bigamy is exposed. Her husband turns out to be a murderer for kind of a lame reason. She's being blackmailed. Like, it's just all bad for Noreen. Oof. Yeah, I should have put that. Um, that's obviously better than my choice of Mr. Stone. <laughs> he did um, get... Because yeah. Miss Fisher... Miss Fisher leads him on, and his band breaks up, you know? Oh, yeah. No, that's that's fair. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, absurd Miss Fisher skill of the week. Was obviously flying. She knows how to fly a plane. Yeah, for sure. Just, like, that's, plane. that's also what I had. I don't think it's easy to become a pilot, but maybe it was easier in 1920s. I don't know. We do find out. I think Vic started to teach her, so presumably during their romance, he was like... I'm going to teach you how to fly. But then it sounds like she really learned how to fly since then. And I seem to remember from the book that I read, which is not this episode, but Miss Fisher belongs to like Lady Adventurer Club. And so I was thinking maybe her like Lady Adventurer Club friends sort of like also knew how to fly and they all kind of like taught each other how to fly. It's my theory on her flying. Oh, I, I love... I love the episode with the ladies' adventure club. <laughs> I'm like, where do I sign I up know. for this club? <laughs> I wish there was, yeah. Anyway, Anyways. future episode, another good one. Um, and then, how'd you rate the sexual tension? I, I racked it up to six this week when she is sitting on his desk and feeding him potatoes. Doesn't get better than that, ladies and gentlemen. It does not get better than that. Yeah, I also gave it a six. Um, when he takes the bite, off the fork? That's a, it's a heavy moment. It's, yeah. There's a whole compilation on YouTube of Miss Fisher sitting on Jack's desk, which is excellent if you haven't watched it yet. Oh, I've obviously <laughs> watched it. <laughs> and listeners, you should too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, like, we're ramping up for, in the next episode, I don't want to give too much away, but there might be some physical contact. They may be touch. They might touch. Don't don't give it away for our listeners who are listening in sequence. Our our hundreds of listeners that are waiting <laughs> with bated breath for the next podcast to release so they can watch the next episode. Yeah, yeah, all four of you. Um, <laughs> 
so I think that that pretty much wraps us up for this Oh, wait, we didn't, we didn't rate the murder method. Oh, yep, I always forget that one. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and give it a negative three. You know, I gave it a seven <laughs> for creativity. Just, just creativity alone. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, in terms of creativity, it's for sure rated highly, but I guess I was thinking more about actual effectiveness, so... It really should have been, like, a poison dart. Well, maybe it was. It didn't actually say what it was that he shot out of the... Yeah, but it seemed to, like, penetrate fully into his chest. Yeah, there's blood. Yeah, poison dart would have been better. All All right. right. Well, so now that that wraps us up. All right, that's all. So next we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 4... Death at Victoria Dock. A racy episode. A young man with a blue tattoo lies cradled in Franny's arms. Sadly, it's not another scene of glorious seduction. This time it's murder. (gasps) It's murder every time, folks. It's murder every time. It's murder every time. But spoiler, there's also a scene of glorious seduction. (laughs) 